Hello, you are listening to Trauma Transformation Adoptee Podcast, a podcast by adoptees for adoptees. I'm your host, Shantae, and each week we'll take a sneak peek into the lives of adoptees from all over the world, and we'll hear their stories of the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with being adopted or children or foster care. Some of the stories will break your heart. Some of the stories will give you hope. But all of the stories will have a similar theme of overcoming adversity. Because here we like to say that we can transform trauma into triumph. The show's about to start. You are listening to Trauma Transformation Adoptee Season 1, Episode 11, entitled How God Works. In this episode, we will discuss incest and sexual abuse. If these topics are hard for you to listen to, right now would be a great time to click out of the episode and come back at a later time. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. It's another episode of Trauma Transformation Adoptee Podcast. I'm your host, Shantae. Y'all know I'm always glad, always excited that you are joining us for another podcast episode. Like who doesn't love some good stories of just overcoming and fighting through battles in life and obtaining a victory that's already been guaranteed for us. Like who doesn't love a good story of overcoming obstacles? We are in episode 11 today. Woo! All right, y'all, that's enough back there. I don't know where the season has gone. Like, it's so hard to believe that we are already in mid-September. Wow. So, I'm not going to hold you too much longer. I know I sound like a Baptist pastor right now, but this episode does run a little longer than most. So, I want to get out of your way so we can get started with our guest, Jennifer Jackson. Hello, my love. How are you? Thank you for joining us here on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for even, I saw you just on Instagram and I saw it. I was like, oh, I got to say something. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you did. I just want to share with our listeners, you know, who it is that we are speaking with today. And I'm going to start for sure with, with what you have going on right now. So we are nearing 24 years in the United States Army. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for your service. And also, too, I, I noticed on your, you, on your Instagram that it is created by design. So give me an idea. Give our listeners an idea of exactly what that is. So um, my business is created by design and it's created with a K. The K represents being a king's kid, that we are, um, that we are kingdom minded, we are kingdom women. We are um, kingdom daughters and going with the K that we represent him and who he's called us to be, not only as women, but also daughters of Christ to know who we are in him for such a time as this, because my tagline is Esther 
4 and 14 because we all have a purpose and we don't know when it's going to happen but whenever it's happened it's for such the time that god has called for um it to happen so what is it that you sell so i sell t-shirts hoodies and um the dad caps and i also have um ebook on there as well it's the affirmation and the confessions manual and the name of that one is your words create atmospheres now also too i know that you do some work in regards to sexual assault victims and sexual harassment you want to share a little bit of that with us too yeah. Yes, um, been in the army for um, for 24 years, and um, I first started out dealing with one of my additional jobs was an equal opportunity advisor. And what that person is is, you know, we deal with cases and stuff and complaints when it comes to discrimination based off your gender, your sexual preferences, those different things and stuff that people get discriminated against. So from there. Um, whenever I got to Fort Hood, Texas, that's when I had the opportunity to become a sexual assault response coordinator. Mm. And what that consists of, we are working with survivors. And that's whenever um, a case comes to us, helping that individual person get the services that they need when they need to get to the hospital, when they need to get to the courthouse to do protective orders and stuff like that, making sure that whatever they need as their case is being investigated, we are assisting that person. But on top of that, too, with that job, I also teach about the program, like what 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 constitutes sexual harassment. Well, thank you so much for giving us some insight into just who you are and the heart that you have and the calling that is on your life. I can't wait for us to have an opportunity here now to just dive into your story. So I'm going to open the floor and it's yours. You can start wherever you would like. I was, I was raised up in, um, in foster care. So the way how I ended up in uh, foster care, and a lot of this that, that I'm going to be talking about is some things that people uh, were telling me that, uh, that happened. And of course, you know, you have one side that says something different, another side that says something else. So um, how it was explained to me, it was both me and my, um, me and my younger brother. My um, younger brother, he ended up going into foster care before I did. But eventually, him and I, we ended up being in the same foster home. So he automatically went from the hospital into the foster care system. So, but for me, because my mom, I was the one child that she wanted to keep. She was trying to do everything she could, you know, to keep me. But at some point, it just came to, it just came to a head to where she wasn't able to um, take care of me. I used to go visit a lot too before I actually got adopted just to see, you know, if my mom was going to actually be able to um, take care of me in the way that I needed to be taken care of. But at the end of the day, that did not end up happening. And a lot of stuff transpired too as I was going back and forth visiting my family just to say, okay, see if I would be able to stay there. Now, my older brother on my um, mom's side, he ended up also, he didn't get put into the system. So he ended up actually going, going to live with another um, family member. So he's always been to connected to the, um, to the biological side of the family. Now I can, <laughs> and it's so crazy, I'm 42 years old and I can remember this. I can remember one day when, what I was told that they were trying not to let me be founding and they had me at a home trying to keep me so that I wouldn't get, you know, taken back to Panama City because I'm from Florida. Mm -hmm. so I, was, I was born in Tallahassee, 
but raised up in Panama City. During the time, whenever I was going through the foster care process, during that time, and I think you're, you're, you're going to be probably the second audience that I bring this up to, because even in one of my, one of my classes, we were doing a class on um, male sexual assault survivors. And but one of the persons who was actually a part of the video, he started talking about his stepfather and about his stepfather had um, molested him. And, and you know, he said that when he was growing up, he never said anything to his mom. And as I was listening to his story, his story was resonating with me to the point because the person who molested me was my brother. I never said any of that or anything. That's something that I always kept to myself. And as I was sharing with my soldiers and everything during this, during this class and everything about being a survivor, one of them had asked me, well, why didn't you say anything when you were younger instead of waiting until you were older? I said, you know, sitting here at my age, I can sit back and look and be like, you know what? I didn't want to get taken from my foster home. I said, because regardless of whatever was going on in my life, even as a small child, I knew God had me in the right place. I knew that I was in the home that I needed to be in along with my brother, then I would have pulled out of that home. And that was something that, that, I, that just was not a place for me to be disconnected from because of everything that I was getting. I was raised up in church, but even how I got to the foster home that I was in, my brother went to the, to the Jackson's home before I did. So I was actually supposed to go to another foster home, like down the street to another home. Now, the family who I was supposed to go to, that's how I say I know this book of a guy. They were on vacation during this week. Wow. And so they ended up, yes, yeah, so the social worker ended up asking my parents, do you, have, do you have a problem taking her in as well? And so from that point on, you know, going through the process of, you know, my, um, my parents going through having to get um, remarried again so that me and my brother, we could assume their, their last name. So that's why I would say it's, it was a God move. For me growing up, I can remember the day that I got adopted to this day, what I had on. I had two braids in my hair. I had on some lavender shorts. They had stripes on them. It was a white shirt that had like pastel colors on it. And I remember because the judge, his name was Mr. Forsythe. And it was the day before kindergarten. And the judge, because my my, my um, biological name is Washington. So we go to the courthouse and it's just so funny because he was just like, how do you, how are you feeling, Miss Jennifer Michelle Jackson? And you know, that was like a good feeling. That was a really, really good feeling for me. But even in the midst of all that, God always had somebody in in my life, you know, leading and guiding me and stuff like that. Because like even with my um, kindergarten teacher, who I can honestly tell you was like the most profound person in my life to this day. So like whenever I would come back from visiting on my weekend visits and stuff, if my hair looked like I was looking like a grown woman, she was like, <laughs> where I have that? I'm going to I'm gonna tell Miss Jackson them. She is a little girl. I don't know why they keep bringing her back here with these, these hairstyles and everything. Biggest struggles, even after me and my brother got adopted. Because, you know, um, during the holidays, we would have a holiday Christmas party. And, you know, you go to the little Christmas party with all the other foster kids. They would have Santa there. And you would end up um, getting your one gifts or depending on what time of the season. I remember Gaylords. That was one of, like, what Gaylords and Woolworth was one of the big things. Gaylord was like J.C. Penney during that time and everything and like the little early 80s and stuff and so we would get like a 250 voucher to go there and get our winter clothes and for me it was just like you know 
thrive out like not normal like everybody else so even after i got got adopted and stuff it was a, still a struggle on the inside that you know trying to be accepted by other people, trying to fit into a, a, a crowd and a group and everything, you know, you're sitting in that crowd, but you're not in that crowd. Mm. And it's so funny because I can look back, look back to this day, God is like, you were never created to fit in with these people and everything and stuff. That was not the intentions. So, but one of the, my biggest struggle for me that just being adopted, it was just like, you know, people saying, you know, when kids get upset and stuff, when you know, you're not really related to us, you adopted, you know, you're not one of us. And you they're just like, okay, it's like, it's really happening. Like, are you serious right now? And then on the inside of you, you're like asking God, like, why is this happening to me? And so, you know, being called, being called names and everything, because the biggest thing that just, and I, and it's, it's crazy because even as I'm sitting here thinking about it, like one of the, and I, and I, I won't say that the people were saying this to be mean, evil, spiteful. So one of my, one of the biggest things with me as a, um, as a child growing up, like with my father, his birthday was the 25th of August. My birthday is the 26th of August. And he's like always been like my, my, my number one person. So it's just like, I would be like, Hey, you know, Papa, if you're not going to eat your, if you're not going to eat the rest of that food, can I have it? So for me, I didn't know my biological father. So I'm going to go back to that. I didn't know him. Okay. However, he was not in that place to be able to be a father or anything like that and stuff because he he's out there trying to figure out who he is I guess that's how, that's how I, I took it as a um, as a child growing up so when I had my dad and everything and stuff that was just like that number one person never made me feel like I was not a part of the family none of that did I get whoopings yes I got whoopings but I knew that no matter what that person he was always going to be there for me and then the fact that our birthdays was a day apart that was just like the best thing since sliced bread and everything mm. and stuff like that and then my adopted mom, my mom and everything and stuff her birthday is the 6th of August so it's like all the August babies even in that knowing that my that I didn't know who my biological father was did it make it hard because yes because whenever it was time for me to get adopted they were trying to find him and stuff but he was out doing his own thing and it's crazy to this day the last thing I ever remember him giving me was $40 and a white meat cake and $40 and, in and a white meat cake for like Easter <laughs> so that's what he had that's what he had um wow. he had gave me so, but even during all of that, just, just growing up and even with having my, my little brother there with me and everything and stuff, you know, we ended up going to counseling and counseling was, was it a, was it a good factor in my life? Yes, it was a good factor in my life, but was it a bad factor in my life? Yes, it was a bad factor in my life. And the reason why I say bad is because, you know, when you're sitting there talking to the counselor, you have that open opportunity to, um, to, to say what's on your mind and everything and stuff. But it's just like, you know, even with the fact that me being molested and stuff, not saying anything and me like hating myself, not liking myself or anything like that, that's something that even during those sessions and stuff, I kept that all of that to to myself because it was just like, okay, why say anything? Then I ended up being a bully. So with all of this stuff happening, because I'm dealing with rejection and everything and stuff, and I was just like that little that little mean child. I would get in trouble for being belligerent and and what 
whatnot and stuff. And it's just like, I don't even know why you're doing this stuff. Because you know you get home, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get punished or whatnot and stuff. I don't even know why you're doing it. But it was that part of me. It was just like, okay, well, to get attention. But it wasn't the attention that I needed that I needed to get. So for me, uh, and even growing up, when I got to middle school, middle school was like a really struggle because, you know, you're trying to fit in with the different people. I mean, I stayed in trouble. I was always battling with something on the inside of me. And the changing point in my life actually came when I was in eighth grade because I got tired of getting in trouble. I got tired of being called the bad kid, tired of being being that that kid that was just like, okay, all you do is get in trouble, that's all you do. So my eighth grade year, I got most improved eighth grade student, like a whole entire year out of all the females I got, that's one of the awards I got and everything. But you know, the hardest part about that one particular day when we had that award ceremony and I got that, I ended up opening up a friend of mine's yearbook. Getting ready to go through the yearbook and sign this this person's yearbook. And I see the words, that pig wrote across my name. I was like, oh, well, you know, nothing has changed. And then that was just another another sticking point. And then whenever I got to um, got to high school, high school was a um, was a big struggle for me too because I was yet still battling with my weight. I mean, I got my first job when I was thirteen. I had my own I had my own money and whatnot and stuff, but I was still always struggling with who am I? How do I look? I don't fit in with none of these people or anything like that. All I wanted to do is just get out of Florida. I could care less about being here. Just me getting out of Florida was what I needed. So that year, my 10th grade year, well, my ninth grade year, um, I had perfect attendance out through high school. Then I missed my one day in high school. I had I, I had perfect attendance because my, my purpose in life was to get away from the place of hurt. Being in Florida for me was a was a place of hurt. So my freshman year, signing somebody else's yearbook, I saw a derogatory name, you know, on my on my picture. And it's just like, okay, Lord, I don't know what it is that you want for me. I don't know why why it is that, you know, I'm going through this. I'm still trying to fit in with these people and I know how people feel about me. Now mind you, did I still have a mouth on me? Yeah, I still had a mouth on me. But my changing, my, my I won't even use the word trigger point, but the point in my life where things started changing is like when I got to the 10th grade. Because I was telling one of my soldiers, I said, if you look at my picture when I was a freshman in high school and you start looking at the rest of my pictures, you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> but I was still battling depression. I mean, when I'm telling you battling depression, I had I was I remember to this day I was sitting I was sitting on the patio and I had a purple shirt on and I had my hair in ponytails and I just said Lord it's okay if you take my life tonight mm. I said it's okay if you just say you know you don't have to I don't have to wake up I, I don't I don't care anymore or whatever and stuff like that because it's like you know no matter how hard you try to fit in no matter how hard you try to do things and stuff is it ever enough but I will always say I always had my parents. I always had them good, bad, and indifferent, mm-hmm. talking back and whatnot and stuff. You know, I, I I always had them and stuff. I know one of the best things for me in life growing up was my grandparents. They 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 did juleps, so we sold juleps. 
and you know we would um the little freeze cups and stuff we we would make little freeze cups juleps together depending on the location where you come from and we would make those together and everything and for me that was just like the best thing i mean like he would make cakes and stuff and i'd be like can you save me some batter you know so for me it was just like regardless that was the one person in the whole entire world even though i had my mom and i had my biological mom and i had my brother my dad was that person who was just like that that heat that that was the one you know and even just when I had struggles when I couldn't sleep and I was having night terrors he was just like you need to stop being bad and just go read Psalms 23 and put the Bible up under your bed but I know he wasn't saying that to be hate but he was he was telling me, you know, and I see it to this day, he was telling me that God is with you. Even though people was telling me God was with me, and I'm just like, okay, you're telling me God is with me, but I'm still having these struggles. I'm still battling with these demons that's on the inside of me, trying to fit in, being insecure, just not knowing who I am. And so whenever it came time for graduation from high school, when it was, when it, when it was time, and that was one of the hardest points that was one of the hardest places in my life as well too because whenever it came time for graduation my dad wasn't able to come because he had messed his leg up so he wasn't able to come to my um to my graduation mm -hmm. and so I had told my um I had told my grandma and stuff I called me and my brother called my um my biological grandma papa because while we was growing up so but everybody knew that was our parents so um I had an extra ticket and I had told him, I was like, I said, well, I guess I'll just invite my, my biological mom to my graduation ceremony so, so at least she can say, you know, she graduated from high school and whatever. So she ended up coming to my, um, my graduation. And that was the hardest thing because she brought the very person who I did not want to see to my graduation. She had brought my brother. Now, mind you, my brain is like, okay, I'm graduating but I'm looking at this person who took a part of me as, as a child growing up and I'm still trying to stay focused on what it is that I need to stay, stay focused on. And even after my graduation, was there a part of me that was just like, you know, you should say something? I was like, nah, I'm good because at this time I had already made my mind that I was going to join the military. At first, I wanted to join the Marines, but the recruiters ticked me off. So I was like, I don't want to join the Marines. <laughs> then I wanted to join the Air Force. The Air Force was like, well, you need to lose 10 pounds. And I'm like, I'm not trying to lose 10 pounds no more. I'm sorry. I'm not starving myself. Then I went over to the Navy. And I was just like, yeah, me and water don't mix. So I'm not going to even try to do the water thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, so then I went next door. And it was so funny because my recruiter... Because, like, you know, when you're an ROTC, they have certain recruiters that are assigned to your high school. So my recruiter said, I always knew you were going to join. So I had told him, you know, I ended up asking my grandma and my papa, I was like, do y'all, can y'all see me joining the military? And they were just like, hey, you, as long as you, is this something that you want to do, it's in your heart. And, you know, you do what it is that you, that you feel you need to do and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because my goal was to get away from Panama City, Florida. So I ended up joining the, um, joining the military. and. So from 1996 until now, I have been serving in the military. But even during that time in the military, I still struggle with my own with my own self esteem. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I wouldn't even use the word struggle. I would say I was in bondage, like mm -hmm. bondage with a with a with a capital B. Still just struggling with weight. Still just struggling with the way how I see myself and everything. But I love how God works. Mm -hmm. I mean, my drill sergeant was a pastor, and I'm sitting up here just like. 
how can you be a pastor and be a drill sergeant? You can't be mean and be nice at the same time. <laughs> right. But I thank God because she was the one person that was like a, a, a tipping point and a changing point in my life and everything and stuff because it was just like she was a woman of character. She carried herself and everything. And whenever it was time to, whenever it was time to graduate and everything, I had to take my little PT test and I had to run. And the one of the drill sergeants had me run an extra mile. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to get out of this. I'm not going to get out of basic training. I'm like, she was like, no, you come on, we're going to run. And I was so grateful for her because she knew that I had ran an extra lap that I was not supposed to run. And I know God had her there so that they wouldn't have me as a holdover and I had to repeat anything. So from there, graduated, went to Fort Lee, you know, thought I was in love and all of this. Even during that time, I was still struggling with my self-esteem, even though people were just like, you know, we like being around you. You know, you're funny. You, you speak with your mind and everything. But it's just like, okay, I'm here, but I'm not here. And then whenever I get to Hawaii, I hated Hawaii. I did. I really did. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm not a water person. I'm just, I don't do the water. It's an island. It's small. You drive around it. It ain't a lot to see and everything and stuff. So, but my first experience when I got to, when I got to Hawaii, I was a victim of sexual harassment. So when I got there and it was so crazy because this person was from Florida and I guess he felt that it was okay for him to just say little smart comments and everything and whatnot. And to the point that I got so uncomfortable being around this person, like I didn't even want to be in, in the formation because I knew this person was going to always say something. And it was like the people who are around, they didn't believe me. They thought I was just making some stuff up because it was like, oh, you're new. You're just trying to get attention. But I said, we're, we're wearing this uniform for a reason. And I'm like, this right here is crazy. So um, one day, I'll never forget this day, we were running. And while we were running, this person came next to me and I got physically ill. When I'm telling you, I got physically ill that I fell out of the run and I thought I was, I was like throwing up. And my supervisor, he looked at me and he was like, Jackson, don't tell me you're pregnant. And I'm looking at him like, nobody's doggone pregnant. And I just broke. I mean, like I literally broke down and started crying and everything. And I was telling him, I said, this person had been saying stuff to me and everything to the point. I don't even want to come to work. I don't even want to say anything. And I'm, I'm grateful that my leadership believed me, even though the other people in my unit, they didn't believe me. They thought I was just like making some stuff up just to just to get attention. So whenever I told my leadership what was going on and everything and stuff, and they were like, what is it that you want us to do? And I mean, they handled it. I said, the only thing I want him to do is just to say he's sorry and don't even acknowledge my presence. Just act like I don't even exist. Because I told him, I said, I didn't join the military for this. I, I didn't come halfway, almost on the other side of the world to, to, to get in, to, you know, be a part of this. So from there, then I ended up um, having my son. And well, before I had my son, my um my dad died. That that's where that was the tipping point in my life to where I complete I completely went into depression because I'll never forget it. It was August the twenty second, nineteen ninety seven, and we were in Waikiki. We were having an organizational day. We were all together just having fun, and I just I just had this 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 sadness come come over me not realizing that this sadness was my dad dying. Oh, wow. And um, yes, yeah, so I literally felt him. I felt him passing. 
and whenever I when I get home and everything and stuff and I answer my phone my cousin them they were just like you know papa passed away and the shock of it didn't hit me until I walked outside and I was just like I don't have my dad no more I said my dad is not my dad is not here anymore and the 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 hardest part was he died three days before his birthday and he died four days before my birthday. That was, that was the part that was just like, okay, I have nobody else in this world. Even though my, my, my mom was alive and everything and stuff, I didn't have, I didn't have that one man other than the Lord who just made me feel like, okay, I'm worth something. Mm-hmm. And when I went home, I was listening to, um, Kirk Franklin, um, never put more, um, more than I can bear. That song kept me on the airplane. If I didn't listen to that song, I think I was I would have lost my mind because the um the flight attendant was like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "No, I'm good, ma'am. I'm good, ma'am." And you know, whenever I get home, it was just like that was one of the hardest things. And so from from that point on, I didn't celebrate. I couldn't celebrate my birthday. It was just like there was nothing to be there was nothing to be excited about. And then turn around, I ended up having my son. And my son was born in August, and I was just like, I said, okay. But I ended up naming my son Jonathan Isaiah, and Isaiah is my dad's name, so I gave my son his um his 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 middle name. And it's so it's so crazy because the first time my son went home, he did not know who my dad was, and he was looking at a picture of all four of these men standing together, and he pointed to my dad and he said, "That's my papa," and I said, "That was nothing but the Lord," because he didn't even know that. Out of all of the ones in that picture, he had pointed he had pointed him out. Wow. And you know, so even after I had um I came back, now mind you, I wasn't going to church. Me and Jesus was not friends. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to do Jesus. I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to do none of that stuff. I mean, I I was that person, I was a people designated driver until I um ended up firing my own self and everything and stuff. Like I'm not trying to do this with, with y'all no more. You need a designated driver. You got to find somebody else. But again, God always was moving in my life. Whenever um, the babysitter that I got, I, the way how God even connected us is nothing but God. Because my babysitter's mom came home, came to Hawaii and she visited one day. And she fell in love with my son. She fell in love with my son. She was like, that's my grandson. That's, that's, that's my baby. And from that day on in 19, in 1990, 1999, that's whenever it's just like we connected. And whenever I got stationed in Georgia, I would go to Atlanta and I would go to church. Now I lived across the street from a church while I was in Savannah. I still wasn't trying to go to church. Man, Jesus, I went, I went sporadically, but I'm not trying to do the Jesus thing. I just really wasn't. My my brain, where I saw myself and where, where I was at, it was not in a it, it was not in a good place. So um 20 years old, I'm in church in Atlanta. Pastor Betty came up to me. She was prophesying. And I'm just looking like, Jesus, I don't care who she come to. Just don't let her come to me. To me. God, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I know it. I, I, I said, she could talk to anybody in this church. Yep. Just let her bypass me. Yep. Please just let her. Don't even have her say nothing to me. So in the same purple shirt that I had on when I was sitting on the patio, and I had asked God to take my life. And I had that same purple shirt at church. She came up to me. She said, the Lord is going to use you. And I just looked at her like, 
if Jesus knew what I was doing right now, I'm like, really? Of all people? She said, God is going to use you to impact other women's lives. Now, mind you, in my head, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, me and Jesus, yeah, I don't think so. So I got ready to go to Germany. This was in 2003. I'm telling you, this is how Jesus, Jesus just moved in my life, and I know it was number Jesus. I, it was, I, was in, I was in my um, apartment, I was asleep, and I just remember having a dream about the church that I was going to go to even before I went to the church. And I just told God, I said, whenever I get to, whenever I get to Germany, I just want, I just want, I just want people who you want in my life. I, I want to know, you know, good people and everything. I'm tired of going through this rigmarole and everything and stuff. So whenever I get to Germany, end up going to the church that I ended up going to. And I'm just like, wow, this is my dream being manifested. And that's when I had my, I, I had my God moment. I had my Jesus moment. I had my, you, you, you need to find your worth. But again, I was still struggling. I was still struggling with who I was. I, and so my deployment that I went to, my first deployment, I went, it was in 20, it was in 2005. And I went to go do lunch, eat lunch with my, uh, with my apostle and one of my sisters in Christ. And he said, are you scared to go on this deployment? I was just like, no, sir. He's like, you know, you're going to bring your first message. <laughs> I'm looking at him like, okay. He was like, you believe me? In my head, I'm thinking, uh, no, sir. I mean, I don't know why Jesus want to use me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in between the church. I mean, I'm still sinning and all of this other kind of stuff. Why Jesus want to use me? Like, I'm going to need Jesus to pick somebody else. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not the one. So sure enough, when I got there, God was just manifesting himself through different people. And even when I, um, when I got back from my deployment, I ended up going to, going to the ministry, to another ministry. That's whenever I was truly, I truly saw how God kept saying, no matter where you go, I'm there with you. Mm -hmm. And we had a women's conference that we went to. It was in 2008. And that was the first time I seen K&K Mind. Um, they ministered to, um, I really am grateful. And as they ministered that song, it was just like a breaking point. But my breaking point came when there was a play and during the play, it was a play to have a single woman on there who was, who was struggling. You know, she was, um, in a, in a wrong relationship and I'm like, Lord, I can relate to all of this right here. But the song that came on was, I almost let go. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening to that song. God was speaking. He was just like, I haven't let you go because I love you. And that's when um, Jeremiah 31 and 3 just came to me. Really didn't understand Jeremiah 31 and 3. But then when I got the understanding, when God was like, yay, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with love and kindness have I drawn thee. And I'm just like, okay, Lord. And that's when I started, I, I truly started believing. I truly started believing because I was at that place to where I, I, I was, I was, I was at that place that I just wanted to give up. I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm a single parent. I could barely take care of my son. I've been in that place where I had no money in my account. I've had to ask people to help me, you know, with, with, um, taking care of my son, paying for his daycare. This is not the, this is not the type of life that I know that you, um, that you want me to have and everything. So whenever I PCS from, um, from Germany, I ended up going to Fort Hood. And the only thing I asked God was, I said, Lord, I said, whatever you do, just put some awesome women 
put some people in my life that are going to just like be a blessing in my life. And it's funny because one of the families that was there with us in Germany ended up coming to Fort Hood as, um, as well. So it was just like, no matter where I would always go, God always had somebody reaffirming who I was in him. I mean, to the point, it was just like, I don't know how you can't see what your worth is. I don't know how you don't understand that you have a purpose and everything and stuff because everything that God has orchestrated in your life, things that could have took you out because even when I went on my wonderful in 2010, I almost lost my life. Like I was taking a shower and I had got out of the shower and a, um, and a, a missile hit our building. I had just got out of that building 10 minutes prior, prior to. And there was a female who ended up taking a shower in that same shower. And I didn't even know it was that same one until the next day they took a picture and I was like, oh my God, I was in that shower. That is like literally, and that was the shower that took the impact. So I had to, I really had to get to this place to where, okay, you got to learn how to truly just love yourself and know who you are. So whenever, um, my um, mom died because she ended up getting Alzheimer's. When I went home, it was in 2016. So whenever I, I ended up going home to her funeral, we were sitting at a cookout. Mm-hmm. And this is when God was truly dealing with me about unforgiveness because I had a lot of unforgiveness. I had a lot of hatred towards my biological father. Like I didn't even want to, if I heard a person that has his last name, I didn't even want to be in the presence of that individual person. So when I went to go visit, cause me and my, me and my biological brother on my dad's side, if you saw us together, you would have never known we didn't grow up together. We, I mean, his mom, like she, she, she was going through with dementia, but she remembered my face and everything whenever she would have a moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. So when I ended up going to go visit one um, one week, I ended up going to church and the message was about letting go. And I, I was not planning on going to the altar. I promise you I wasn't. I'm like, I'm good. I don't have nothing to release. I don't have nothing to let go of or anything like that. But when I went to the altar, I could feel God saying, you can't continue to hold on to this. You can't continue to carry this um, this burden of hatred and, and whatnot and stuff. And so when I went to the altar, I released it. And following that, I ended up going to see my biological father. And it was crazy because I just looked at him. I was just like, I forgive you. I love you. And that was the first time he was like, you know, I apologize for not being in your life. I mean, he literally just was just like, you know, and I think I was what, 38, 30, something like that. I know I was like 38 or 39, something like that. And he told me, he was just like, he was like, I do. He's like, I apologize and everything. Cause I was like, yeah, because I have a little sister now. And the one thing I don't ever want my little sister to, to go through is having to feel like she's being bounced around and everything. So from that point on, you know, I can sit there, I can laugh, I can joke with him and, and, and whatnot and stuff. But when I ended up coming back home to visit during my mom's funeral, I think her, her my, my dad's death hit me, but when she passed away, that was like the reality, like the two most important people in my life were no longer there. Because like my biological family, they were calling me. They were like, are you okay? You okay? And I'll never forget, I'm leaving Walmart. And I'm like, please don't call me. I said, right about now, I have not even processed the fact that my mom is not even here. 
I said, I mean, I just, y'all really like need to stop calling me because I know she's dead. I know she's not here, but you're making her death real right now. And I'm not ready to accept the fact that she's, she, she's, she's not here. And so even with my biological brother who was, who was adopted with me and stuff, um, he ended up struggling with alcoholism because he didn't know how to handle, he didn't know how to handle my, um, my dad death or anything like that and even when my mom had passed away from um from alzheimer's because she she lived with alzheimer's for 15 for 15 years and then when she passed away that was a struggle for him because even sitting in the, at the funeral holding his hand and he was like i'm sorry he was just like i only saw her one time and you know that was just like hitting him hard because now it's just like it's me and my brother so whenever i went to go home and visit and we were sitting out with at my at my aunt's house and we were sitting at a barbecue and they just kept talking about my brother and they was like, Oh yeah, you know, when he comes out of jail, da 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 and all of this other kind of stuff, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. And they were just making him seem like he's the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm standing up here just like, if you people really knew what type of person that you're dealing with and all of this other kind of stuff, like how this individual violated me as a child, I don't really think that you would be standing up here talking about he's a great person. I just really don't think that. And so my um, niece was sitting next to me and my niece was like, Auntie, are you okay? And so I think I'm about to go. <laughs> I said, right about now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really about to leave. And it got to that place to where I was just like, I gotta go. And as I was leaving, my aunt had followed me and my aunt was like, what's wrong, Jennifer? What's wrong, Jenny? And I said, you know, y'all are sitting here at this table talking about this person. Like he's the best thing since sliced bread. Like he never did nothing wrong and all of this other kind of stuff. I'm thinking like he's in jail. Really? Come on, people. Let's get our lives together. And, you know, and I looked at my aunt and I was like, you know, I just want to let you know your awesome nephew molested me whenever I was coming there to visit. And she looked at me and the look on her face was like, and you know, at that point, I was just like, I didn't even want to deal with them. I really didn't. I was, I was done. And the thing that bothered me the most, I didn't realize my son hurt. Oh. Yes. So, so my son, of course, my son was like, I want to go into the jailhouse right now and everything. I told my son, I was just like, just, 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 just let it go. Just, just be at peace. And then, you know, that's when I ended up telling my, my biological brother on my dad's side and whatnot. And my brother, and my brother was like, why did you, I said, honestly, why I held on for it so long at that point, I really didn't have an answer. And I'm just like, you know, and I hate using this phrase. I'm like, it is what it is. When I was talking to him, I knew I needed to, I knew I needed to let that go. And of course, the next day, um, my aunt them took me out to eat and I'm just looking at them like they better be glad Olive Gardens has all you can eat bread and salad and everything and stuff because I mean it sounds like I'm being comical but for me that's where my brain was at because I'm like you know y'all better be glad they got this all you can eat special because right about now I really want to get up and go I just really do so from from that standpoint it was um it was a relief that I that I that I let it go that I was able to say what I needed to say but then like 60 days later, guess who I get a Facebook request from? Your brother. My brother. And I told my aunt, I was just like I said, I'm not going to go into detail. This is the only thing I want to ask y'all. Don't get my number out. Don't ask, don't, don't tell people to send me no friends requests. Don't do any of that. And from that point on, you know, still going through that, um, that process. And then I ended up talking to my aunt. I want to say it was earlier this year. This is my younger aunt. Mm-hmm. And we were talking 
and I knew I knew that this was the time for me and her to have this talk. I said, I don't understand why my mom, I look like her, but it's like, she doesn't acknowledge me. And then that's when my aunt explained it to me. She was just like, she said, you know, when a person doesn't know what love is, they don't know how to reciprocate love. Mm-hmm. And I understood that. And I said, so, you know, I can't expect her to, to, to give me something, to show me something that she never experienced as a child growing up. And that's when my aunt was telling me about, you know, some like um, behavioral health, some mental health issues and everything. My aunt was like, she was like, well, I wish I would have known this because you wouldn't have had to go to foster care. I said, stop. I said, that's where I needed to be at. Mm-hmm. I said, regardless of what happened to me in my life, God knew that me going into foster care, being adopted was what I needed. Because I told her straight up, I said, had I not, I said, I probably would have had about, had more kids than what I, what, what I would have been able to sustain and everything. And I told her, I said, I probably would have been divorced 10 times over because I've never been married and stuff. And I was just explaining to her. And I said, so please don't apologize for me going into the foster care system. I said, because God knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I said, there was no mistake about me going into foster care because I said, I got what I needed. I got love. I got introduced. I got introduced to the Lord and everything and stuff. I learned how to work. I learned how to do a, a, a lot of different things. And it's so amazing that even during this, I never realized that I was still dealing with the spirit of rejection. Did not understand that until last week. I was listening to a message about work. And as I was listening to this message about work, I just said, Lord, I'm tired of holding on to this. And that weight went away. And that's that's how I know that regardless of everything that happened or transpired in my life, the good, the bad, being in being in foster care, being um being in foster care, being in the system, thank God for allowing me to be in foster care because I can honestly tell you that I probably would not be in my, my in my right mind and I would not be as I would not be in the same place to where I'm at. Nothing against my biological family, but I can just look and tell for me and everything and stuff and just some of the things that I dealt with and battled with and everything and stuff. Had I not been there, I would not be here. I, I thank God that because even when my even when my um, mom was older and on my first deployment she you know she's helped me take care she's helped me take care of my son and everything so I think foster care foster care was put into into this world for a reason because God knew that there there were going to be people who would have families that would not be able to take care of them and that God was not going to slight them and he would not want them to be without being in a home to where they can be nourished because even in because even in the home that I was in, I've seen kids come off with crack addiction, um, coming off of heroin withdrawal. That's like the worst cry in the world. We had kids in the home that had cerebral palsy. I mean, our home was a home of the world. There, we had kids that were Native American. I mean, kids from all types of backgrounds, kids with, with physical disabilities, mental disabilities. And that's the one thing that I thank God for for my for my. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. That's what this is about. Because even in the midst of all of that, they never turned the child away. Mm. Even with my my dad sometimes not being able to drive. 
never turn the child away. <laughs> Even if it was a child that had to be there temporarily, their home was always open. And even when both of them passed away, you had people that hadn't seen them in forever. They came to the funeral. And I thank God, you know, I stay here sometimes and and I thank God that, you know, I, that I had my family, even like with my kindergarten teacher, whatever my mom had died, I, I was standing in Walmart. She hadn't seen me. She looked at mom. She said, you know, out of all my kids, your mom has always been special to me. And um, so I have to laugh at that now because even when I did think I was special, there was always somebody thinking more of me than what I thought about myself. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much. Like there is just so much to unpack in that actually in a graduate program right now, studying to become a um, marriage and family therapist, because it was actually in counseling where I reconnected with Jesus after a really long time, because I was running from him too, you know, and I just mm -hmm. didn't understand, you know, if you're so great. Why am I going through the things that I'm going through? I don't right. know that and so it was at a later point when I reconnected you had mentioned about going into therapy was your biggest issue with therapy is that you were afraid to open all the way up in fear that that would get back to your your adopted parents and they would then force you to leave their home is that what it yeah, was that would that it was it was that and then still trying to learn how to trust people yeah yeah. Well, I talk a lot about trust because those of us that's been separated from our biological parents, that's an automatic breach of the trust process, right? Because mm -hmm. the way God set us up, he didn't set us up to be separated from our mothers. And I, so hearing you say that you had issues trusting even that therapist at that point actually falls right in line with a lot, with a lot of us um, that went through this type of experience actually go through. So that mm -hmm. said a whole lot to me. And also too, I want to talk about what you said when you talked about the demons that were inside of you, even with receiving all the love and, and all the nurture and all the Jesus that you were receiving from the home that you were in, you were still experiencing an internal battle, mm -hmm. right? Can you talk yes. a little bit about what that battle looked like for you? So for for um for me it was always just never feeling like I added up. Mm -hmm. It was the enemy would always ha he and it's the, the thing what he would do with me. He would show me through another person. He he would show my shortcomings through another person. Mm -hmm. Those demons knew that as long as they had my mind and they could deal with me in rejection and they could deal with me in saying you know you don't deserve to be here. That's where the stronghold was at always looking at things from a from 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 a negative perspective from a from a negative standpoint because there was a point where I blamed God. I said, well God if you didn't if you didn't have me built the way I am and everything and stuff, if I didn't look like I developed beforehand, I won't be dealing with this stuff. And I had to go back and ask God to forgive me. Because at the end of the day, people have a choice of what they want to do. Mm -hmm. That's right. Do you still have moments where you have to really capture those thoughts and 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 start to recite to yourself who God says you are? 
I, I, yeah, I, I can't even sit here and lie and say no I don't because I, I mean we're human that's I mean, it. We, we, that's it. We, we have the we have those moments and like I was talking to my son this morning I said he was like you know it's funny you can open up the Bible app and God will take you to that one scripture and it's the verse of the day come on it's the verse that, that that you needed come and on and stuff just come like on. even and I give you another example of how I pulled down those strongholds. And I was sharing this with I was sharing this with one of my, my soldiers, another sister in church. And um, she said, Well, how do you deal with it? I said, I put it to you like this. Whatever it is that I'm going through at that time, I will put, I will, I will go on the search button and I will just type a word in. And that's the devotional that I know I need to go through. Like I was having a problem like with the woman with the uh, the woman at the well, whenever I was trying like why Lord, and when I said, okay. So even with that, I, I I do have my moments and I go to that Bible app mm-hmm. and I find that devotional. And that's one thing I want people just to know that too, that you do, you will have those moments thing, but it's us to know who we are in Christ and pull those things down. Oh, I like that. I like that perspective on that. Well, it has been Miss Jennifer Jackson, an absolute joy having you on today, getting to hear your story and learn about what your journey was like and what you've been able to accomplish in life through the grace and the mercy of God that he just provides for us every day. For people that are interested in your, your, your t-shirts and things that you sell, how do we find you? Well, so I'm, um, I'm on Instagram with created by design and it's all one word, but instead of a C, it's a K. So it's created with the K. Created by design with a K on And my um, actual website. So there's a link also in the bio to go to my website. But my um, website is www.createdbydesign.faith. Dot faith. Correct. Got it. Again, her name is Jennifer Jackson. And you can find her on Instagram at createdbydesign.faith create it with a K. We thank you so much for joining us today, Jennifer. Your story was impactful and I know I will continue to hear many great things about you. You are forever a sister and we have a connection that will keep us together. Absolutely. This is the segment of the show that I like to call my two cents. And just like anyone else's two cents, You can take it or you can leave it. The choice is always yours. In this segment, I like to dissect a small portion of the interview just to get a little more meaning and clarity from it. It was really hard with this interview because there was so much information that Jennifer shared in her story that just touched my soul. But I want to address a topic that I haven't really addressed in my two cents thus far and it's the topic of sexual abuse yeah I just feel in my heart that right now is the time and some of you may be wondering like what does this have to do with foster care and adoption some of the numbers that I read are astronomical I believe one article I read said that adopted and foster children are 10 times more likely to experience sexual abuse. You think about children who already feel disconnected and separated and lost in the world because the prime compass for direction for us are our birth parents 
And when that is non-existent, you have children who are much more susceptible to being molested. One of the requirements for me to do this podcast was for me to also hold myself accountable, to be real, to be genuine, to be open, honest, and transparent. In our interview today, we had an opportunity to hear Jennifer's story of being molested by her brother. And we got to hear about how even when she was in counseling, that that was still a piece of information that she held on to and and, and did not dispel that information until about 38 years old. Being molested happened to me for the first time when I was seven years old. And it was by a family friend, a 14-year-old teenage boy. And there was something that he told me that stuck with me. And he said, when boys like you, this is what they do to you. And so here I am as an adopted child with these internal beliefs that I'm not good enough, that I'm unlovable, I'm unwanted, and now I have the answer at seven years old to life's problem. And the answer is, when boys do this to you, meaning have sex, that means they like you. So it became a recipe for disaster in my life, honestly, because I didn't know how to enter romantic relationships without having sex. That was the only way in my mind that I could feel a connection. And so when I was molested again at 10 by another teenage boy who was 16, and then again at 13 by an 18 year old boy, I pretty much had the routine down. And that became the guiding force, relationship after relationship in my life. Broken families, meaning children who are no longer with the parents that gave them birth, that's broken. Broken families go into broken systems that create broken children. But here is what I know. I have a God that binds up brokenness that transforms me and is turning me into a new creature to where today even as a single woman even with this vow to wait to have sex until I'm married again I still struggle but I know that I can stand up in the face of adversity in the midst of the moment and know that I can depend on God to give me strength like I've never had before That's all that I have for you on my two cents. And as always, you can take it or you can leave it. Well, my beautiful friends, we've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. This is the point in the show where I will always recommend seeking mental health assistance. There's a reason why in the Bible, our thoughts and our minds are referred to so often. And I believe that God knew that our biggest battles would be fought in our head. And as adoptees, that's what so many of us face. So please get mental health help. 
please share, like, follow, comment. And if you would like to learn more, I have a website that's in development. You can still go take a look at it now. It's trauma-transformation.com or feel free to follow on social media at Trauma Transformation Adoptee. Please know from the bottom of my heart to yours that you are loved, valued, and enough. We'll see you next Tuesday. God bless. Thank you.